0: Again, I appreciate you guys so much, you know, not just for the conversation we've been able to have and being able to, having an opportunity to listen to you guys, but um, that you would follow up and come on the pod because uh, evidently all my other friends hate me.
1: Oh, so we're not getting paid for this? Mm-hmm.
0: This week, we brought on Allbirds as a sponsor of the Green Light Pod, and the very first thing they did is tell us, don't pump our sneakers this week. It's not appropriate, which I think speaks volumes about them as a company. And here's a statement from Allbirds. Normally, this sponsored read would focus on what Allbirds does as a business and talk about one of our newest products, but there's something much more important happening in our country and around the world right now acknowledging injustice is not the kind thing to do it's the right thing to do as a business all birds has always stood for the planet and standing for the planet also means standing for its people we believe that everyone should be able to enjoy all the earth has to offer without fearing for their lives because of the color of their skin and while we admit that we're not entirely sure what the right thing to do is at a time like this we know that just stating our support isn't enough we need to take action as a first step Allbirds has contributed to organizations like the National Movement for Black Lives and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund to support their efforts. We encourage you to demand change and make your voices heard. Black Lives Matter. Greenlight Pod, I'm Chris Long, uh, your host, and uh, I will have guests today. You know, starting out this week, I mean, we've had a good week. I I thought for a pod, I had nobody to talk about this with uh, a few days back. I did all right. I hate just having the floor with nobody to talk to, but it was fine. Um, Then I had Mark Cuban on. That was a great interview. It was awesome talking to Mark. Mark is one of those guys that you don't even know him. He just got that magnetism about him. Uh, You like the guy um, right off the bat, as soon as he popped on Zoom. And it was a good talk. And he's somebody who's tried to put himself um, in other people's shoes. He's somebody that's kind of led by example. From an ownership perspective in, in sports, obviously, another stratosphere from the type of things in, that NFL owners do or say. I mean, Mark's in that stratosphere. But I haven't had anybody black on the, uh, on the pod, which wasn't intentional. You know, this, this week is uh, not about my perspective. It's about, uh, about people who don't look like me and their perspective. So I start freaking out because I've been kind of a procrastinator this week. I've just been kind of stressed, distracted. The last thing I think about doing some days is the pod. And I do realize, though, that my pod can actually be a force for good and for understanding and conversation. So today, when around noon, I decided that I was going to try to get somebody with a different perspective, not named Malcolm Jenkins, because Malcolm and I have been going back and forth on when we might do a pod together. We're going to do it soon. It just didn't work out today. I started texting dudes and I was striking out because people are busy and everybody's getting hit up right now. And coming into the pod, I thought, fuck, it's just going to be like a uh, Caucasian city again this Friday on the pod. But last minute, got a text back, actually didn't even have to wait for a text back from Michael Bennett. I called Michael Bennett. I know he's in New Zealand or Hawaii. I mean, the time zone, I can't keep up with him. So I assumed maybe that he wouldn't be able to do it, but I called him and uh, he said, no problem, let's do it. And uh, Devin McCourty called me back uh, as well and uh, said, let's pop on. And the three of us, we've played together, uh, not been on the same team at the same time. Uh, Mike was in New England a couple years after me for a little bit and uh, shared a locker room with Dev. And then I shared a locker room with Dev in uh, New England years earlier. Mike and I, of course, played together for a very long year in Philly. It was great talking to these guys. We've talked about issues like this before. Me and Mike, you spend a lot of time just hanging around the D-line room, the locker room, sometimes arguing about real issues, talking about issues of racism, of race, different cultures, different perspectives, experiences. We talk politics. We would also talk about dumb shit. It's the great thing about having a teammate, you know, conversations run the gambit, but we would stay in the locker room so long it would get dark, you know, sometimes after uh, after practice we just talk about stuff. And me and Mike don't see eye to eye on everything in the world, but we do see eye to eye on a lot of the stuff that we're talking about this week. Mike's a good person. Mike's got a big heart. Dev as well has a huge heart and uh, is one of the best leaders I've played with. And me and Dev have shared. A lot of conference rooms and conference calls talking about moving the ball forward in the world of criminal justice reform, educational equity, the things that we've dealt with at Players Coalition. So I have a background with these guys. It's a comfortable way to get two guys on that I know that are uh, football players that are African-American and who are really involved in trying to advance the ball, not just talking about it. Um, Good dudes. So... Really lucky that they're gonna join us um, in a few, and, uh, and we'll see how that conversation goes. I thought for a second I had no friends. Somebody joked with me. I put out like kind of this defeated tweet that was like, hey guys, I struck out on guests today. But somebody was like, yeah, maybe you should have listened to your mom when she laughed at you that she never expected you'd get Mark Cuban. Uh, maybe it is hard for you to get guests. Another guy was like, what the fuck is going on at your show that you go from Mark Cuban to no guests? it's just a uh, it's a crazy week and everybody is using their voice so i'm lucky to have those two guys join me and you know today more of the same discouragement some glimmers of hope the fact that i think everybody's so uncomfortable is a really good sign you know it's one of those things that if you are somebody who's empathetic to what's going on right now and you care about the state of our country and the plight of uh, our african american community you're probably a little bit exhausted this week. There's no way you're as, as exhausted as the community that we're trying to stand up for and stand by. But the burnout is real. It's video after video. It's chaotic scene after chaotic scene. It's, it's gotten so bad that when you text your friends, you're like, did you see that video? I mean, it would take a while. Cowboy Reed and I were talking about this before we got on, that you know, it's, it's hard to, to keep up. It's uh, usually one of these videos a day is the way it goes online in a bad week, but there's protesting going on around the country. In some places, there's rioting and there's escalation going on. It's actually mind numbing. You should check this out. Greg DeSette, G-R-E-G-D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E. He is a criminal defense attorney and First Amendment attorney in North Carolina and Texas. He's uh, self described as a conservative, but not a Trump guy. And he's got a really good feed on Twitter, really informational, really on the right side with the criminal justice reform stuff and informative. He really breaks things down for his followers. So shout out to Greg, but the thread that he put together over the past week or so, cataloging videos that he saw so that you can keep up a little bit better, so that you can just scroll down and digest the sheer incompetence that's going on in even handling peaceful protests around the country by police is mind-numbing, absolutely mind-numbing. You can argue semantics about what kind of police problem there is because you can't stomach letting black people lead anything. But you can admit that it's actually much tougher for black people than it is for white people in America. And white people still have reason to suspect that they could end up in an ugly encounter with police. I mean, look out there at the protests. Look out there at the riots. People of all colors are being roughed up pretty good. And uh, that's not to say that outside agitators aren't fucking things up. Don't send me a video heartbreaking video of that st. louis cop who got killed over a tv like i'm like that's gonna like i'm going to be callous and say that that's not absolutely wrong or that those guys shouldn't be swiftly dealt justice they will be that's the way it goes and they should be don't send me videos like that thinking that because something bad happened that there was a horrific asshole out there taking advantage of the protests that, that gives you some shield and you, you don't have to deal with the problem at hand. Um, I'm seeing a ton of videos and Greg Deset did a good job of compiling them. I don't want to call it a good job because the end result of the compilation is is not good. It is troubling, it's disturbing. There were a few I saw today that just made me angry, angry, angry. The video of uh those Buffalo cops shoving that old dude to the ground. He hit the back of his head on the concrete hard enough that there were audible gasps and the video pans. And you can see that within two seconds of the back of his head hitting the concrete, he's bleeding out of his fucking ears. And the dude that pushed him or the dude right next to him, because they're just marching forward. And the thing about this video is there's not chaos going on. There's not a lot of people protesting. You can clearly see what happens. The cop that pushed him to the ground. The old man who's now bleeding from his ears underneath his feet doesn't even have the empathy to reach down and pick him up or reach down and and tend to him and say, hey, can we get him some help? He kind of half squats and then realizes that I don't want to look soft. The other guys in uniform are going to judge me if I help this man right now, who I just gave probably an awful concussion. I hear the guy's in stable condition. I mean. I'm watching a video of these five cops billy clubbing some poor girl who's really clearly not a threat. Eventually, they get her on the ground. They're beating her. I got a video of cops lighting people up under an overpass stuck in traffic. People are stuck in traffic. They're trying to get home, and you're just pelting them with non-lethal. Breaking glass. Somebody was I could hear somebody in the background was like, holy shit, the windows are breaking, and they're just opening fire. I saw a video of a guy getting out of his car. That's where the video picks up. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you shooting my car? The guy's evidently not even in the protest, just trying to get home. He says he's got his pregnant girlfriend or wife in the car. And why the fuck are you, why would you shoot at a car with a pregnant woman in it? Well, if they didn't know then, they know now. And the guy is understandably cussing them out because I swear to God, if they did that to me, I wouldn't even be that, I wouldn't even be that friendly if they didn't know then they knew when they unloaded 15 times the amount they did presumably the first time into and at the car i mean it's it's insane i saw a guy on a bicycle getting the shit out of him with billy clubs i mean they they got billy clubs out like now, like it's 1960 now tear gassing people during like a worshiping service there's people out in like wheelchairs and kids it didn't look like an active Protest zone or somewhere that was really escalated. It looked to be some sort of a walking mall. I don't know where it was, but there was absolutely no need. These people were 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 literally having service. There's a fucking dude in a wheelchair and there's kids. It's the middle of the day. Doesn't look tense at all. Maybe the entire thing is orchestrated to uh, to create some fake news, right? I, I don't know. That's what some people would tell me if I shared that video. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awful. And here's the thing. These cops are doing this with the world watching. They know they're being filmed. They know there's camera phones. And I'm not excusing a lot of the assholes that are out there agitating and taking away from this process. But the people I'm seeing in these videos time and time again are not those people. And I see some bullies. And I see some people that are fed up. Well, why are you fed up with the protesters? Be fed up with uh, the guys that you, that represent you, that you serve and protect with. Good cops, come on down, man. Join the party. These videos are tough to watch. I know that, you know, the entire country is, all 50 states have had protests, but that doesn't excuse the amount of videos we've seen. What about the cop outside the pawn shop in St. Louis? the retired cop who tragically lost his life is not something that cancels out the validity of a need for change. I think anybody reasonable would come to that conclusion. So then you got Drew Brees in the midst of all this who failed big time. He did. We've all heard what he said. I'll get to why he failed in a minute. But if you see this visceral reaction, I think the anger is love disappointed is a good one here. Um, how do you spend that much time in locker rooms and come off so tone deaf when you could have just done it? This was a crossroads where you could just be a part of the solution. All you had to do was what Carson did. I know the 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 topic was the the protests, but you know, all you had to do was just make a statement condemning the the death. You couldn't you didn't even have to call it a murder. You could have just said the death of George Floyd reference systemic racism, or mention the word police, you could frame it as neatly as you wanted and call it a fucking day. But when you tell everybody how you feel about the anthem, at least have the empathy right now, this week, to realize and point out that that's your perspective. And you don't get to be paternal to dudes that don't have your perspective. As visceral a reaction as you get, and I don't know if that's the right word because he, he you know, the, the anthem elicits a positive reaction with Drew Brees. Your black teammate feels very differently about that flag, about the anthem. So your perspective is no more important than your teammate's perspective. If we are equal, if the country is as great as you say it is, he may be a charitable guy. He's a guy that I've had a lot of respect for. He may be a guy that has done a lot of good he certainly has people can be complicated there's good and there's bad he's a great football player i think people have even called him a great leader all that's great and it sounds good it looks good but if you're apathetic that's dangerous especially with a big platform like you have and all you had to do nobody has an issue drew with with your perspective of the anthem nobody Nobody is going to get mad at you for standing with your hand on your heart for the anthem. For you to get that paternal tone with your teammates who you spent 20 years in locker rooms with was kind of just, it was just discouraging. That's all. I mean, I, th- I, I think that's it. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to preach at Drew Brees. I'm not perfect. I'm like everybody else that we all have some figuring out to do on this thing. But, you know, you got to understand where these guys are coming from. And you've got to grant them the decency and the empathy this week to read the room. And as you share your perspective, knowing what that answer can be weaponized to mean or interpreted to mean by fans and your teammates, to qualify it with the, with the fact that ultimately there's nothing more American than peacefully protesting and that your teammates' perspective might be much different than yours because your teammates, if they have grandfathers that—and this point has been beaten to death this—you know—the last twenty-four hours. But I'll make it again: if they had grandfathers that that fought next to your grandfather, and this is the to me, World War II is isn't it widely considered to be kind of like the uh, the modern day apex of our military moral authority like where we were behind a righteous cause that we can all agree was a task that we had to take on even in that moment for us your black teammates if they had people that served came home to jim crow do you realize how bonkers that is dude so like the tone you know the the disappointment for guys because he is so loved to hall of famers to guys he played with that you never heard of He's Superman to a lot of these guys. And so the really disturbing part is that this Superman who's played nearly 20 years in locker rooms with guys that don't look like him, that have different perspective, life experiences, who shared you know, the field with these guys, they've sacrificed next to him, they've sacrificed their body, their careers, helping him, helping each other to win a Super Bowl, to set records, individual records, team records. You know, this Superman, he's thrust himself into a city with a really diverse population. And uh, he's got a lot of fans that don't look like him. And a city that he helped pull out of Katrina as a, as a role model, as, a, as somebody who was community-minded for all those people. If that Superman misses the point, we have a problem. Who should have got it more than Drew Brees? I've been on a team. I know how many conversations we have. I'm going to have a conversation with Mike Bennett and Devin McCourty in a few minutes that I've had with them probably in 50 different iterations at lunch tables. You know, at night, 11 o'clock at night, the night before a noon game, just sitting in the cafeteria at the, at the hotel, eating ice cream or some shit, talking about the world's problems. Like This stuff happens in NFL locker rooms. So that's why I was so confused. I don't know if Drew was missing those conversations or if he wasn't listening to those conversations. And he had time. He had four years since Cap knelt and guys peacefully protested. It wasn't just these seven days. People are like, he's had a week to think about this. No, he had four years and seven days to think about this. If you miss the point after four years, there's a problem, but maybe it can be fixed. A lot of guys are coming around. But if you miss the point seven days into this, I'm not sure. I don't know. And that's why I think it was such a strong reaction. Now, football-wise, you know, and by the way, Drew apologized today. Um, of course he did. I don't know if it's good enough. I'm not the gatekeeper. I'm not the one who uh, he has to answer to in his locker room. And, and I look like Drew. So Drew's a guy who's done a lot of good in his life. I don't think Drew is a, is, is a racist I think he badly missed the mark. And I don't know if it was because of ignorance or because of apathy. I think the latter would be worse. Now, football-wise, he's got to go back into that locker room. And I think that process started today, talking to some guys on the Saints. you know, They had some good, raw conversations. For some guys, I'm just telling you, it's never going to be enough. Some guys are going to feel like he's shown his true colors. You know whether it was Marcus Colston, who used to play with him, who's not a teammate anymore. If you notice the phrasing, it's Drew. Somebody I had respect for, Malcolm Jenkins. I I had respect for you, Ed Reed, and this was painful because Ed Reed's the nicest Hall of Famer I've ever met, and this would have to cut like a knife. And I know Drew's hurting right now, uh, but people aren't really focused on how Drew feels. Rightfully so, Ed Reed said, "You're gonna be a sucker," you know, like. That's the problem. And that's the consequence of, you know, missing the point. And I think had it been some gotcha moment where he misspoke or didn't articulate what he was thinking correctly, I think there's a lot more of a safety net for him. But the problem is what I, what I mentioned a minute ago, you had a lot of time to formulate this and the way things work. When you're asked to do an interview, you are a franchise quarterback in the middle of, an unprecedented time period in America, people are going to ask you to talk about this stuff. It's been kind of like the statement Olympics. Everybody's been making one. You know, all you had to do was just, you didn't have to lean into or triple down on your sentiment that you just can't respect that. That's all. Now, I don't know that they, I don't know it's going to affect them or not on the field. I mean, You know, if it was a position player, it's one thing. If it was Jake Fromm, which I'm not going to spend more than 10 seconds talking about. I mean, he he said something racist in a text message. Somebody caught him. I don't know that he has the equity in the league to overcome something like that. I don't know that anybody, I don't know that some people will ever forgive him for something like that. You know, especially in a time like this, because it comes out now. But he's not Drew Brees. Guys are going to, Drew Brees will take the field again. They'll win games. I don't know the dynamic when he tries to break down the huddle. I don't know what that's like, you know, but hopefully Drew can have some real honest conversations and grow because he's built a hell of a, a hell of a career, a hell of a name, a reputation. And it just only takes one statement like that sometimes for people to change the perception of you. And uh, it's hard for me to feel sorry for him today. Because it's not just about Drew, it's about like other players too, seeing that and being like, okay, that was what was wrong with that. And it's not enough for me to just give my perspective on the anthem. Laura Ingram. Okay, she's back. You know, I, I know she's, she's got to be charged up from having to listen to black people's opinions for an entire week. That's got to really get her mad. And also, mind you, the lady works at the network that has Chuck Norris on to talk climate change. Uh, Or the guy from the motion picture, Anaconda, John Voight, to talk about things like the economy. Seriously, these are the correspondents that her network has on to talk about things that have nothing to do with their vocation. But do you remember her telling NBA guys that millions elected Trump to be their coach, so they should shut up and dribble? By the way, Laura, besides being morally bankrupt as an individual, the coach that you referenced turns out to be a terrible fucking game manager. And we knew it. But when it comes to Drew Brees, Laura has a different attitude. Surprise. He's a human being too. This is totalitarianism. This is Stalinism. I too remember when Stalin used to make people apologize on Instagram. And that was one of the punishments. I think that was in his toolkit. It's almost like freedom of speech goes both ways. Drew Brees has freedom of speech. And people can use their collective voice to disapprove of it in mass. And this is not about Laura Ingram. I don't feel like giving her a platform. And I haven't since that day. Uh, It's just, it's kind of that disparity um, that often comes to light when we talk about which athletes can say what and when and uh, on what topic. Someone asked me last night about the Colin Kaepernick protest. Obviously, that's very topical right now. A dude asked me if I thought Colin picked the right time during the game to raise awareness for his cause. And I don't know if he was asking open-mindedly. I try not to be too cynical, but at this point, it's hard not to be. Uh, Mind you, this dude asked me about Colin Kaepernick in 2020, four years after the fact, on a Wednesday night in June at 11 p.m. You're asking me that question proves that the awareness part has worked. It is the listening part that is falling short. So, you know, in the words of my buddy Malk, who's been in the news the last day, who, by the way, I, I, I respect a great deal. He, he's really lived this stuff as long as I've known him. You still aren't listening, you know? I thought that spoke volumes that day when he busted that poster board out in the uh, locker room. So it's not just the awareness, it's listening. And um, hopefully, and you know, it's encouraging. I, I will say this. I've had a few people in my mentions today when I, when I tweeted, you know, what I just said about Cap that said, I was one of the people that didn't get it four years ago. I get it now. So better late than never. Otherwise, what are we trying to do? We have to change people's minds. And I don't know how far gone somebody can be down the road of apathy or, or racism. Or, and I don't know how far down the road somebody can be before they can't turn back, but you still got to have these conversations. That's at least the way I look at it. I really like that NFL Black Lives Matter video that Juice Landry shared with a number of players on it. He tweeted it uh, earlier this evening. You know, what do you want the NFL to say? That's it. That'd be a start. You know, all the things in that video, go check out Jarvis Landry's uh, Twitter. He shared a, a nice video that include guys like Deke Elliott, Deshaun Watson, um, number of players that I actually hadn't heard speak up before. Um, speaking up, being specific about what would be a start for the, uh, for the NFL to acknowledge? You want your players to trust you. You really want to be a part of the solution because the NFL always talks about wanting to be a part of the solution. Acknowledgement. That's a start. So let's get Mike Bennett and, uh, and Devin McCourty on. And I hope soon we can get back talking about sports and that sort of thing. But I just wouldn't count on it uh, at least the next couple of days, the next couple of pods. I hope people start to get it. Here's Mike and here's Deb. All right, so Greenlight Pod, uh, let's dive right into it. I had, up until a few minutes ago, no guests. I was like oh for 15. I thought everybody hated me. People were tired of hearing me talk. And then I, I threw a couple Hail Marys to uh, one Devin McCourty and one Michael Bennett, former teammates of mine. And actually, we've all played with each other. So uh, good to have you guys on. Um, I know it's been a tough week. Where's everybody at right now? I'm in Hawaii right now.
2: I'm mean, I'm just
1: in New Jersey. Hawaii sounds a little nicer than Jersey. I'd rather be quarantined there. I wouldn't. I
2: wouldn't say I played in the New England Patriots. I definitely was a part of the team. But very much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what's funny, Mike? Is is I uh, I was looking up a GIF to tell the people that I indeed had a pot. In fact, that you, you joked that I sounded desperate on Twitter. I was just defeated. And uh, when I dropped your GIF, people were excited. And then I got the word that Dev was coming on. And I looked for a Devin McCourty gift. And one of the gifts was one of the Patriots preseason uh, videos that y'all shot, you know, for the, for the media. And it was YouTube. And I was like, what the fuck did they have Mike Bennett in, in, in this video for? They barely played him. We had a good time, bro.
2: I had a great time, though. I won't say I didn't have a great time. I had a great time hanging out with the guys. I had the most interesting conversations with the people on the on the Patriots. I just I just didn't fit in schematically. I think at the beginning when I first got traded they were doing a four three. And by the time the summertime came and we had more linebackers than we had defense alignment. And I was in the defense alignment category and and, and they wanted us to hold up people. And I just I wasn't used to holding up people, like just literally holding up a nigga. If I move moved sideways I like you in trouble. So it was different different for me. But I learned a lot of football though. I won't say I didn't have a
0: you know, I got the same pump fake. I thought we were running a four, three, the first two games I was there and I was going off, you know, getting game balls and shit. And then by the end of the were like, no, we're kind of like a reduced front. I, I
1: will say, uh, Mike is telling the hard truth. Uh, we had some good, we had some really great conversations in that cafeteria um, and then the season started and from just a, a schematic standpoint, Uh, It just it just wasn't working. And I mean, to Mike's credit, he's not a quiet guy. um, And he still was a good teammate. We laughed. We joked all year or the time he was there. um, So it just didn't work out. But, you know, you you can't go wrong with the Bennett's.
0: No, you can't go wrong with the Bennett's. I got to enjoy a year of great conversations with Marty and then another year in Philly uh, with Mike. uh, And they're both they're they're both great conversationalists, very different conversation styles. but. But very great conversationalist and kind of got me through uh, the respective years. So I appreciate the Bennett's greatly. Speaking of conversations, there's a guy in the NFL by the name of Drew Brees who uh, doesn't seem like he's had a lot of conversations that he's taken much away from in cafeterias and in locker rooms. Um, You guys have seen the comments. Where are you on that today? Has it changed at all from yesterday?
1: No, nah, for, for me, it hasn't. You know, I think everyone was like, you know, he apologized. Um, but for me, it wasn't about that. Like, it was about uh, his stance and the stance he took now allowing people to be like, you know what, man, Drew Brees is a great guy. You know, he's a, I, I already, I've gotten the tweets. He's a Christian man. Why would you go at him like that? He's done so much for the community. Um, and to me, all he did was open a door for people to be like, you know what, he's right. This is about the anthem, you know. Oh, no, no I, I do care about black people dying in the street, but, you know, this isn't it. And, and you know, I was talking to my mom earlier and she said it best. It, it allowed people who are very comfortable with all of the benefits and the privileges they have to be like, you know what, I'm on the same side as Drew. And I, I think that's where we're at, you know, now as a country. And um, it, it was very disappointing to hear that stance and what it allows uh, for other people to do.
2: I think what we're looking at, what we're suffering from at this point is somebody who's been so privileged they haven't had the time to see what other people are experiencing in America. I think Drew Brees is a reflection of America. I think it's a reflection of people, right? Because most people that are white, they haven't had the the time to even understand what African-American people have, right? It's the question, when you when you say, oh, my father was in the World War II or grandfather was in World War II, you, you're not acknowledging the African-American man fought in World War II and came back into a country that was still segregated. We're still 20 years away from the end of segregation after World War II. Then we see people who fought in the Civil War. They came, people fought in the Civil War and they still had to deal with Jim Crow, right? So it's it's a it's a sense that he's disconnected from his teammates and their struggles and what they've been through as a community and the traumatic experience of being an African-American man in a society. And how our history is woven in the fabric of American society from the blood, sweat, and tears that we died in the battlefield or the same blood, sweat, and tears that we died in the Civil Rights Movement. And still, we're witnessing uh, public lynchings when you look at George Floyd. There's a sense of anger and there's a sense of compassion that uh, Drew Brees is missing. I think most white America are trying to prove that they're not white, right? But in a sense, they're trying to prove that they're white, but they're not racist, right? They're not that white. But when you are, when you dehumanize the death of somebody else, you fit right into the category and into the box of being a racist, right? As Drew Brees, I'm not saying Drew Brees is a racist, but I'm saying most of America is saying that they're not, that they're not racist, but in the sense they aren't connecting to the humanity of African American individuals in this society. And I think that's what we're plagued with. We're plagued with when we say a pandemic, racism is a pandemic. It's really the core. Thing that you could possibly disease that is so almost untreatable, and this society in America has been suffering from a pandemic since the beginning of its creation. The mem, the the Constitution, was was made in the ideology of people being free, free speech, free peace, free this and that, free that. But that same America is two different Americas. One America is for white people, and one America is for black and brown people who suffer from the racial disparity. Of the past and the traumatic experience of being an American citizen.
0: I mean, Mike, what you said is absolutely correct. Uh, what it, what it, what shocked me so much is that he not only has had four years, though, to think about it. It's one thing to be ignorant to facts, to realities that can happen to any white person. It can happen to anybody who doesn't have cultural experiences outside their own. I, you know. That's why I think integration in society is so important, in schools, in communities, and you know, a locker room is supposed to be a melting pot, but somehow it didn't fucking work. And so at that point, with all these conversations that he's been privy to, he's had an opportunity to have these conversations, but he either opted out of these conversations or heard them and didn't care to, to listen. And he had four years after Cap to formulate an opinion, an understanding, and then he had 10 days, eight, 10 days, whatever it's been since George, George Floyd was murdered, to formulate, a, what, what am I going to say? I'm a franchise fucking quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Okay, I'm going to agree to a Yahoo.com interview. What do you think they're going to ask you about, Drew? So it wasn't a misstep. It wasn't a, oh man, I flubbed up. You leaned into it. That was the tone. It wasn't just what he didn't say and what he did say. But it was the tone. It felt like he leaned into, well, this is my position and I have not changed.
2: I agree.
1: It felt like he knew the questions that were coming, like, hey, man, like at this point in the interview, I'm going to ask you about the protests. I'm going to let you voice your opinion, your stance and just tell the world. And I think it's like Mike just said, you know, when you've lived with that kind of privilege, it, it's sad. It's sad to watch, but it's like, do you really, from a selfish standpoint, do you really want to give up that privilege and acknowledge that, hey, man, I, I've had privileges all throughout my life? And it's awesome. And I think for us to sit here, and we were talking before we jumped on here, to sit here and expect people to just raise their hand and volunteer, like, hey, man, I want to say I'm privileged and I want to see how I can help. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, I would have hoped, you know, like you just said, four years, all of that maybe, you know, we're playing football, maybe you forgot, maybe his head got hit. But Monday came around, and I'm pretty sure almost all 32 teams, if they were doing some type of meetings or group chats with teammates, I'm sure there was conversations everywhere. I mean, you guys both played in New England. Like, New England is one place that's heavy football. Like, we were doing football. We're all about getting better. Football's what we're doing, no distraction. That's what we did Monday. We talked about what was going on? We allowed people to open up, speak freely. So like you just said, it was just so out of touch that it wasn't just a mess up. It was like, I want to be direct and I want people to know where I stand and this is it. So um, like I said, Pete, he apologized and I think that's great uh, for his teammates that, that accepted his apology and for them to move on as a football team. But I think for his stance as far as, you know, what's going on, it just is what it is. You know, you don't, I don't, I don't like that stance. I don't agree with it. Um, and I think everyone should stand by that. If you don't agree with it, you don't agree with that stance.
0: Mike, do you feel like the ideological shield thing has changed from four years ago It was the flag and it was the military and it was, Hey, we're not going to pay attention to, to what you're mm-hmm. asking us to pay attention to. It's shifted uh, in those four years. It's just changed form from, okay, it was the military then. And now it's, you know whether it's the protests, how you're protesting this that and the third it just feels like there's never um you know a, an environment where never we, the right moment, right? we can just see yeah it's never the right moment
2: I think I think too we're dealing with um when we're dealing with something too where these leagues and com- and these companies they're trying to exploit this moment right they're trying to prove that they're not a part of the issue, but the problem is that we've we've lost so many people because of People haven't been speaking up. We've lost so many young people, black people at the hands of police violence. And police violence is just the, the edge of the system. Right. We, we're not even talking about the judicial system, who black and brown people are, are in prison at a higher rate than any other race in America. And have been uh, and been accused of crimes that they haven't even done, indicted, given jail time for crazy jail time and marijuana. We can keep going on and on. But I think the NFL is at this pivotal moment where it has to make a decision on the moral compass. And I think it's the NFL is is subjugated, subjugated to the opinions of its players, right? The opinions, the opinions of the players who will really hold weight. So when Drew Brees makes a statement like that, he almost um, debunks everything that every other player in the NFL is fighting for. He basically says, I don't see racism, Vic Fangio. I don't see anything that happens in the NFL. And it almost makes the NFL be contradictory towards it, all the decisions because they're dealing with their own problem with the, with the Rooney rule, right? You're dealing with something, a gla- uh, somebody who's throwing rocks at the glass house and they say, that, I don't believe in racism, I don't believe in this. But look at any position in the NFL, from the presidents are white, the vice president are white, the GMs are white, the ownership is white, the training room is white, the equipment room is white, the media room is white, everything about the NFL is white. So it's hard for anybody in the NFL, from people who are growing more privileged, to understand what every player in the NFL is saying. I'm George Floyd. We all are George Floyd. We are all black people at any moment. Our life can be taken from us. We are in a moment, a pivotal moment in society where we are reclaiming the dignity and the right to exist, which the right to exist is a moral and spiritual freedom given to us by God simply because we're born, right? And we have a system which is oppressing us at a higher rate than anything. And the NFL, the shield is trying to hide from that, but it can't hide from that no more because the players are starting to stand up. When you have Odell Beckham and people like that really starting to voice their opinions, then the system, they have to they have to change their everything because now the players have a voice. Four years ago, the players were scared. They were so scared. It was like everybody was scared. There was a couple players in the NFL. David was one person who wasn't scared. Malcolm Jenkins, people like that were not scared. They understood what being a black man was and what it means to them, their duty and obligation to speak up for people who don't have a a voice and now every player is starting to recognize. And unfortunately, Cap was a casualty of that, right? But at the same time, the NFL is at a point if they don't speak up and say what's right, they're gonna have a revolt and a revolution on their side. They're trying to stop that from happening.
0: (laughs) Right, you mentioned Drew one last time because this is something where I think the context and the pressure mounted where we're all looking to white voices and I've said this, I've said, listen, as a white guy who's had to speak on things before i would just counsel guys that text me if you're going to say something say something substantive you know that's why i thought that and you guys might disagree with me you know carson did a good thing he said you know systemic racism he he called it out by name you know even putting a statement out there for a white quarterback which shouldn't be a big deal i i hope we can get to the point where we don't have to give a white guy a fucking medal for speaking the truth or for putting um value on black lives but you know with guys looking at Carson as one example, Drew as another, Joe Burrow, who hasn't even gotten his first check yet, Trevor Lawrence, that's big stuff. I hope we can build on that positively, but how about somebody who's fucked up like Drew? Drew fucked up, you know, so can that team, if you're a teammate, can that team move on? I was going to say,
2: I mean, for my opinion, I think it's going to be a long road because it's going to come into action, right? Because everybody's not so much buying it right now. I feel like the pressure of society is people are probably maybe going to feel like he was pressured into making a statement, right? It's him proving, it's it's going to have to prove it over time, right? Because right now he has 43 years of people saying, well, he's been privileged. He one day isn't going to change his ideology on privilege, right? We can't just because the pressure of society is almost like when he makes an opinion, he says something. It's almost like he's like a Manchurian candidate, right, because he still has um, things that he wants to do in his career. So is he is he is the intent of his words truly about change or is the intent of his words to not be seen as something that he really is? That is the real question. That, that's the moral question that he has to deal with on a daily basis. He can fool us. But at the end of the day, the light is going to shine in the darkness and everyone has to deal with what they've done in the dark.
1: Yeah, and I think we know, like, you know, you play with Malcolm Jenkins. I know Malcolm. We know Demario Davis on that team. Um, like, I think those guys will initially be okay. Like, let's accept. But, like, those aren't guys who can hide their feelings or hide, you know, from the truth. Um, you know, if it's not actions after the apology and those words, I, I, didn't, I didn't read the, the full apology. Um, but if there's no actions there, I think it's going to be extremely hard. For those guys to just sit there and be like, well, let's just play football, you know, just knowing those guys. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, if he does follow those actions, one thing that brings us all together when we get in that locker room is going out there to play football and winning games. So if he does, I think I think they'll have a chance to be good. I mean, things happen all the time in our in our locker rooms. Um, and I think it's the one space where people are open and, and have enough respect for each other to say, let's talk and figure this out. So, you know, I think there, there's definitely a chance.
0: I thought it was a great illustration of just from my vantage point, why certain gestures don't mean anything, you know, the black square, which, you know, I don't know how it started. I posted one because I'm like, okay, is this what I'm supposed to do? I do it, you know, but I, I think it can be powerful, but then a Drew Brees posts a black square. And then the very next day that interview comes out. Yeah. I mean, and
1: you saw there was, there was a lot of people, my wife pointed out to me, a lot of people posted that black square and then they turned their comments off. Like, let me post my black square, but let me make sure that people don't see, you know, the people I follow, their comment. And so people don't say, well, why don't you respond back? So mm-hmm. I think it was like you said, it was like, let's post this black square no matter how I feel. Mm-hmm. Like I just want everyone to know, like, hey, I'm in. I'm in for the cause. I support black people. Um, but it's like you said, there's, there's zero substance in that.
0: There has to be follow up.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I think we all I think it has to be follow up, too. And we have to deal with like and then people bring God into this. Right. And we bring Jesus into this. We're at the point right where we're dealing with um, where we have to connect to humanity. Right. And we're talking about Jesus and people forget that Jesus literally was executed by the state because of it's religious beliefs. If you look at the Lord's Prayer. It's a religious, it's a, a political statement. And if you look at everything he's done. It was about standing up for what people didn't believe in. He was a man who took himself out of the materialistic society and became a, a man of the people. And I think we're dealing with people who are using great people leaders' names in vain and not really understanding the message and what they experienced. They wanna experience the glory of those people's names and their statements, but they don't wanna experience any of the pain. Nobody wants to have walked down the road of Calvary like Jesus did, but what comes with standing out is 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 persecution right because when you do something that's philanthropic you do some philanthropy we talk about cancer we talk about everything you're going to get a pat on your back but when you talk about Mm -hmm. something like race there's a reason why people who talk about race have been killed, because race is the underlying, fundamental issue in American societies. Always has been, you know, always will be at this point until something else changes. And as right now, a lot of white people are scared to really stand out on what they truly believe. Do they really? Do people really believe that everybody's equal? I'm not sure if people really believe that. And the question is, is there is their job to prove that, prove that everybody's equal. And I think our white counterparts, it's important that they say that if I'm a human being, the reason why Joy Floyd matters to me is because he's a human being. At the end of the day, a human being died, or a human being lost his life, or a human being does not have a child. And that should mean something to each and every one of us on every single level.
1: And b- Before you go on, and I think that's a great point, because we just did a Bible study Wednesday where we were in uh, the book of Galatians, and we were at a scene where Paul's talking to uh, Peter, and he's telling him, like I get it in the Old Testament, this was only for the Jews, but now we have to accept the Gentiles, like Jesus came to bring in people like by like Mike said, by him taking that walk down Calvary, he saved the poor, he saved the Gentiles, which was every race, not the- not Jews, and that's for everyone, so I think um that's one thing that I don't want to see people try to hide behind or use Jesus in a way and use Christianity in a way that they don't bring it all together and um, I've been fortunate enough to, and you guys know Matthew Slater, um, and I thought he had a great point um, as a Christian and faithful man. Um, he talked about that. He talked about his life and and being in the church and having people use different, you know, whether it's verses or different books in a way that only promotes one type of thing and, does, and don't get to the heart of the issue where everyone needs to be accepted. And it's in the Bible, like it's right there for you. So um, I thought that was a great point you talked about, Mike.
0: It's, you know, we've seen those examples of guys that I would deem, in my eyes, real Christians. Okay, you could have whatever opinion you want about organized religion, but uh, I respect people who are consistent with what they say their values are. And uh, you can kind of tell who's hiding behind it and who's leaning into it in a good way, you know, and saying, you know, my faith demands that I am compassionate and empathetic. And, you know, Mike, you mentioned something that really struck true with me. And before, because I know I'm not racist, but again, it's not enough to be just not racist. You got to be anti-racist. That's something that's been stressed this week. I'll see a video sometimes. And you know, I saw a video this week where one of these sites was pumping out a video of this black dude who was essentially for three minutes humanizing himself, explaining, justifying why he's human. You know, like, I'm normal. I do this. I do that. You know, I do things you do. If we have to humanize black people, how hard is this going to be?
2: It's, that's the point, though. It's like we at a point to like we should we we at that point where we shouldn't have to prove our, our human, our human, right? Our human side and histo- in the historical context, Pessy versus Ferguson, we had to go and prove that in court to see that we were actually human beings. So not three fourths human. We are a full being like we wasn't considered as full beings. And America's still suffering from that ideology, right? Because there's still people who grandchildren and father who who suffer and told them about that. And they still devalue human lives. And I think when we look at people dying on camera, quite honestly, honest and quite frank, I think it numbs us to the reality that when you watch something online, we become so unconscious and thinking that what we see online is not a reality anymore, then we're not realizing that that's literally a person dying and kids are watching a person dying. And what do you think that does to an individual who has to watch somebody look like him die quite often? It creates a traumatic experience and a traumatic place to live, right, in your own skin. And when you can't go anywhere and everything about you is identified by the color of your skin, it becomes horrific?
1: Yeah, Joe, like we, we were just talking, you called me. And one of the first things you said to me was, man, I just want to let you know, I've been praying for you. I'm sorry. You know, uh, people that know, like, you know, me and my wife, we lost our third child. And that was something like, for me, like that happens on Sunday and then this week happens and you go through all of this. And like, you know, I'm almost like, man, I don't even want to deal with this right now. Like I don't want to deal any problems with the country. Like I have my own problems with my own family and it opened my eyes. And I was like, you know what, you know how many people when me and my wife announced that it happened reached out to me? Black, white, uh, former teammates, coaches, like my friends, like so many people reached out to me. And it was to that point Mike just said, when I lose that baby, so many people were like, man, I'm so sorry, because they put themselves in my position, like how crushed they would be. But when we turn on the TV and we see a black man executed in the street, a lot of people don't turn and say, like, man, that could be my father. That could be my uncle, my cousin, my best friend. Like, people don't see that. They're like, man, they just killed that guy. There, there's nothing. They don't get it. And I think until we start to have that where people are like, man, like, that hits, that hits home. Like, that's right next door to me. That's here. Um, it's always going to be a struggle. And, you know, I, I think for all of us on this call, it's easy. We'll, we're going to die trying to fix that. We're going to die talking about it. But
0: we need everybody in there on that. And and it's for us, for white people. Um, and I've had these talks with my dad. I don't have. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. I know that a misunderstanding with police will never get them fucking killed. You know, I, I know that they'll never have to worry about an interaction with police. And so I think one of the biggest things for white people is first acknowledging that. If you can't acknowledge that, I don't know, maybe. Maybe there's no hope, uh, but if you can acknowledge it, you should want your peers to feel the same way. I mean, that, that's literally the goal of this exercise. Okay, you love America. You think it's great? Well, it is fucking great for you. It's not truly great, though, unless everybody feels how you do, and unless my friends, Dev, Mike, you know, can when their kids get driver's licenses and that sort of thing, and their kids drive out of the driveway, that they don't have to worry about this shit. But you mentioned it. The the lights are on now, you know. Like, and there's nowhere to hide, which puts athletes in a precarious situation. You you know, like there's li- there's nowhere to fucking hide, and people know where you, they know where you stand, whether you speak or you don't speak, uh, to a degree. And so, what about white players that are maybe listening, um, or you know, white people that are listening? Because as we learned today, it doesn't mean shit that we're a football team uh, with Drew Brees. You could be a coworker. You could be somebody who goes to church with people that don't look like you. What do you want from your white teammates?
2: I I think when we talk about uh, the lights, right? I just to clarify when we talk about the lights. I think that the real light was the COVID-19. I think COVID-19 really shined a light on disparities in America. Like we saw people who were essential workers uh, not having food, not having this. And we saw the racial disparities in America at its highest forms when we looked at the medical system. We looked at the unemployment. We looked at all these different things. The rich people were great. The the poor people and brown people of America, who were the most essential workers, were were dying at a higher rate. Were suffering from um, not having food, not having shelter. So I think the racial disparity of America was shining the brightest light. Um, and 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 nobody could. It was we couldn't argue these facts anymore. The facts that we used to argue, like oh maybe that's not true, that's not true. Everybody felt what America and what People, underprivileged people, were feeling right, and I think um, now that the George Floyd, it's even shining more light on the racial disparity with the police system. And I think for our white counterparts, I think they need to do some studying. I think white people need to do studying. I think if they really looked at the historical things that have happened in history, they probably would look at Christopher Columbus a lot different. You know, maybe look at George Washington a lot different, even Thomas Jefferson, you start to look at the history and you start to see it from the perspective of the other person, as dad was said, was saying, we're putting ourselves in other people's shoes um so I think that white people need to start studying as a black man. I can't tell you how to be, not be racist. I can't tell you how to be inclusive. I can't tell you any of those things. that's a self journey that's a self awareness journey. I think African American people had the had the Perform myself to fit into certain areas, whether it was in sports or being coached, being told you to this, you to that, you to that. Basically, they're saying you're too black, right? So now it's a situation where people are flying out that it's like you have to figure out your own journey to really find out why and why people are feeling this way. This protest, this George Floyd, these things, these are history behind it. And I think it's, I implore white people to go do some research. Please do. Go look at Emmett Matil. Go look at Stephen Biko. Go look at you know Nelson Mandela, Patrice Lumumba. Go look at what happened to Mar- uh, at Megar when he was killed in front of his house. Go look at what happened to and to those girls who were bombed in Alabama. Go look at it. It's the history there. Look at it. You know, you talk about we talk about um, Martin Luther King, but look at the history. How Martin Luther King was treated. How he was chased. How he was he was assassination attempts on his life. This is the man that you look up to. So I say do history history check. Yeah,
1: and I would just follow up with, they need to do that, and then we need something to be fearless. We need you to speak up um, after you call, and and you're educated, and you study and you know, and for some people, you you might call your Black friends and say, man, like, I understand now. I get it. Speak up. Go out there. If you're an athlete, use your platform. If you work in uh, finance, if you do something else, when you go to work, tell one of your coworkers, speak out. You know, I, I think... Um, it's great for them to educate themselves. And and to me, that's the first step. And I think once they educate themselves, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Like we can't have everyone just sit in that bubble and not speak up. We can't have just a Chris Longs or, like you said, or the Carson Wentz who puts out a statement. And then if he jumps in for like, we need more people, you know, more people to speak up and help out uh, with the cause. Don't just sit there with that education and what you've learned and not spread it to people.
0: And there's no doubt for a white player, I look at the, the Carson Wentz situation, somebody I always knew had it in him. Like, we know Carson's – like, if you play with Carson, he's a good guy. But you don't know if he has the, the intestinal fortitude to be that first one to step over the Nick league. Nick Foles center. is better. He said Nick Foles is better. Yes. Well, as a sidebar, it seems like it kind of matters the team you're on, too, because it didn't go as well in Jacksonville.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just saying –
0: <laughs> You're the worst. I like we are trying to have a serious conversation. You want to divide Philly in half. I love both those motherfuckers. Let me both sides that. How about that? No, I'm um, there's no both sides on police brutality to me, but on the Nick Foles, Carson Wentz debate, I'm gonna straddle the fucking line like a champ. You know, you mentioned reading and MLK. I think that's that's so prudent for us because it makes you better able to have conversations with people that look like you and are going to question you at every turn because they want to resist change and understanding and acceptance. So they're going to throw statistics at you, talking points, ones that unfortunately, like Drew Brees, kind of, kind of pushed to the forefront a day ago, which I think people miss also, that you've, you're basically arming people with an ideological shield, as we talked about. But you've got to educate yourself. I'm constantly trying to educate myself. And Mike is a great resource. Dev's a great resource. Players Coalition's been a good resource as well. But Josh McCown, you know, he I I truly believe that Carson might have had all that potential in him to say what needs to be said. But without the the example of a guy like not only Malcolm, but to Mike's point, you know, it, it can't just all be on black people to solve racism or explain to you how not to be racist or to speak out. You need guys like Josh. And I thought that was big. I thought he had something to do with it. Another thing was the MLK thing you mentioned we love to quote MLK, don't we? It's like, that's just our ace in the hole. You know, even when we want black people to, to not say what they're, that they need to say, that we've got an MLK quote for that. But there was one that was circulating a lot this week that white people didn't like, and that was riots are the language of the unheard. So if you're just going to use MLK quotes on January 18th, uh, maybe consider using them when they're not convenient for you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but you know what it is? Because people don't understand that Martin Luther King was a radical person, Like, right? He was—what comes when you are radical, you're changing the status quo to what you see in life. That doesn't come with being passive-aggressive. That becomes with radical thoughts, right? So Martin Luther King was a radical person, and people don't want him to be considered as a radical theologist, a radical man, a radical um, leader, a radical uh, a person, right? Because that— that incites that we as individuals to change the world. We need to be radical, and so by passing by dumbing his his uh, um his history down and his his uh, contribution to America by dumbing it down by putting those weak quotes, it just says that you are saying that oh don't don't be that Martin Luther King, be this passive one. Don't have a radical thought. I mean, everybody. If you look at George Washington, he was radical. So it's like it's not it's not uncommon for people to change the world who. The people who change the world are radical.
0: So we're looking at the season. We're talking about, you know, me and Deb talked about this offline. There's going to be a conversation that's going to continue. And I don't think sports should make this conversation go away. I was talking to um, Mark Cuban about this two days ago and about how the NBA season is going to come back. And. The very thing that gives these guys a platform to speak out is going to bring so much excitement that maybe it pushes the, the conversation out of the forefront. And that's what I worry about with football as well. But I know players will not let that happen. Do you guys see guys protesting again? What does the NFL have to do? Is there anything the NFL can do to prove that they're actually on the player's side because we're down this road away?
2: Force the Redskins to change the name. I think that's a one way, that's a one stop, that's a start right there. You saying that the league is not racist? And you have a team that literally has a racial slur for its name, the red skins. What if it was the white skins or the black skins or the yellow skins? People would be upset. Like, you know, so that's to me, that's one way. Yeah.
1: And I, I think there will be something. And I don't expect the league to get involved or, or do anything. I just don't. And um, I think players, I think as a whole, players, I would hope we learn something that four years ago we were all wrong we should have jumped right on board with Kat and we all should have been down there taking a knee during the anthem. Cause he was right. You know, we can not you can't move a protest to make people feel comfortable. Um, and I think, you know, I'm not saying guys are gonna definitely take a knee, but I think guys need to think of something. We need to make people uncomfortable. We need people to understand, like as a black man in this country, I'm uncomfortable every single day. Like you're gonna be uncomfortable for whatever time period that I have this platform. Um, and I think as players, uh, one of the biggest ways we can benefit from that is not allowing any player to have to step out there like Cap
2: did um, and joining in and doing something that's unified. But I, and I agree with you all the way too. And I also think that the NFL has been miscued and misstepped for over so many times because um, without inviting the players into the discussions about race and you just give something out, it doesn't give the players a voice. This is you saying something, right? And I think before, they need to make sure that when they do decide to make a statement, there need to be more players involved. I know with the Players Coalition, there was stuff that you guys did, but at that time, it was it was very – I mean, I feel like they need to do more and involve in involving what do we, where do we go from here. And I think there needs to be a select group of players every year that are a part of the change in the NFL. Like, they have these meetings, but players aren't a part of them. And I think we talk about race and moving the conversation and moving the needle for it. Players need to be involved with it. There's white and black players. Like maybe, maybe they hire Cap. What a way! Hire Cap to go and get his his thoughts. No, that might be that might be bad for Cap.
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I I I'm still holding on to hope that maybe you know he he gets a stab at this thing again. But they've only they've almost created this self fulfilling prophecy where. You know, at this point, it is reasonable to wonder if he could play football four years removed, you know, like, but for the first Alden three years, I know Alden's. Hey, but you remember Alden Smith was bad, motherfucker. So was Cap, but remember <laughs> how good Alden Smith was? was five years ago. Yeah, yeah,
2: but I'm saying though, that's been so long ago. I'm saying, I'm saying that at the same time, there is he, I, I think he should be able to play, but I agree with you, like, be taking long layoffs and coming back into compete at this level. I, I wonder how, how it was gonna go, but you saw his arm was pretty good last year. And I, I think thought he looked he great. The, I he was never a passing quarterback anyway. He did a great passing thing, but he was more of a running quarterback. And as long as his legs are together, I think he should have a shot. I think him having a shot though, I don't it's up to him how that works and what that looks like.
0: Yeah, I think it would be good for the league. I mean, that's that's gotta be if they can still get it done, not that you can undo the, the, the time it's taken to get here. But if they have an opportunity, uh, you know, so these teams should wise up. You know, he's not, a, he can not only help you on the football field, but he can help bring this league back together a little bit. I really believe that. But you have to make a decision that you want the league to come together and not worry about the, the fallout with fans. Uh, because what this is, yeah. a thing where you got to rip the band aid off. That's what we've seen this week. I mean, like, this is something that's been going on for a long time. But I feel like, what you said, Mike, mention, mentioning COVID, you've got a captive audience, enough is enough. The video was brutal um, and nobody can hide right now. There's no other stories in the world. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, you know, CAP would, would help and help it, us move, move things along.
2: And I think, and I think we, when you say pull the Band-Aid off, see that, that to me, nothing against what you said, but I also think the Band-Aid is just a flesh, like we're putting something out the flesh we're dealing with something so spiritually, something so spiritual. We are dealing with people who are, who have wounds spiritually. And those are, and that's a part of America's fabric and America's story for not reconciling the historical um, trauma is, has uh, done to African-American people over the time. And I think the NFL, if you look at the history of the NFL, and, and I got mad, Dev remembered this too, when we was at the, uh, Hall of Fame, and that guy started talking, and I had to go. Everybody in the whole team looked back at me like, "What are you gonna say?" But I had to pull him back because for some reason the NFL thinks that it's been so progressive when it comes to race. When we really look at it, the NFL has not been progressive. The fact that we have to point, we have to point out, "Oh, we had one, and we had two, That's not progression to me. Progression is when we have a lot of people who look like the who look like the people who work there, right? And that is really an authentic way to tell if if we really have to change. And and the government is the same way, the, but the government is supposed to represent and govern the people that look like it, right? Look like yourself. And unfortunately, America is made up of a whole bunch of different people, but the system is only a government and the system only works for a certain amount of people. Everybody else is oppressing. So we're dealing with something so, so fucked up. It, it's really kind of crazy.
0: It is crazy. And um, it has been a long week. Again, I appreciate you guys so much. You know, not just for the conversations we've been able to have and being able to, having an opportunity to listen to you guys, but um, that you would follow up and come on the pod because uh, evidently all my other friends hate me. Oh,
1: so we're not getting paid for this?
0: No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't gotten the Joe Rogan <laughs> deal yet. The, you see, he got the hundred million dollar deal.
2: Yours is coming, bro. Yeah.
0: yeah. We have, have a. Button. How long is this for? Four years. I don't know how long it's for. I didn't I didn't want to get <laughs> mad and read this. <laughs> Although, you know, it's one of those things, guys. It's like, you know, when somebody gets a big contract, you can be mad about it or think uh that he might be helping you out.
1: Yep. Yep. So on so, how you see it.
0: Guys, do you guys want to plug your podcast as well, real quick?
1: Oh, definitely. You know, uh Jason, my brother, twin brother, uh we have the double coverage podcast. We uh go Sunday night, we actually uh, film one uh, today, a live one. So check that out. We talk about everything sports. Uh, well, not lately, but you know, we've been talking about this stuff. But it's a good time. Uh, we just chill out, drink some wine, have a good time.
0: I've been on there. It's uh, it's it's like a more popular the shop in my opinion. <laughs> no, LeBron, no. So wine, the whole nine yards. It's great, Mike. What about yours?
2: Damn, mine's just called Mouthpiece. It's a it's a uh, podcast with my wife. And it's about, I was just looking at the Joe Rogan show. I'm mean, like, he did get a hundred million. Uh, I do do better. Um, the podcast is called Mouthpieces with me and my wife, Pele Bennett. And we kind of, we talk about all things about raising, raising our kids in America. Talk about race, politics, uh, sex, and just living in this world and trying to uh, just be good people. I think the thing that makes our podcast really good to me is that we have disagreements. We don't always agree with each other. I think we respect we disagree. We got some civility within that, so I, I enjoy it.
0: Um, Mike, can you do a podcast on the fact that you never drove yourself home from work one day at, in Philly and made me give you a ride home every single day, although it was out of my way?
2: It was reparations.
0: <laughs> I hate you.
2: That's a good answer, bro. Uh,
0: well, I got off pretty cheap. It's not like my FJ is a gas guzzler. but. <laughs> You know, Mike, Dev, love you guys. I really appreciate you guys. And, um, and thanks for coming on.
1: Oh, thanks for having us, All man. Right. Appreciate what you do, bro.